Hello and welcome to JudgeCast. This is episode 286. I'm one of your hosts, Brian Perlman, and I am joined this evening, afternoon, morning drive to work by the one and only Samantha Har. That's me. And the one and only Charles Featherer. Are we sure I'm the one and only? Only one I know. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it's sort of like the whole, like, if I'm not actively observing another Charles Feather, <laughs> you are the only one that exists. It's, it's so, quantum physics. So my father and I are never allowed to be in the room at the same time. That 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 checks. That's good. If a Charles Feather falls down in a woods, you know, whatever, whatever that <laughs> phrase is. Yes. So um, when Charles Feather falls down in the woods... Uh, I don't actually know where I was going with that, so I'll just tap out now. Um, but yes, this episode, we're going to be talking about missed triggers, because apparently that's got uh, a little bit of a community conversation within the last week or two. For those of you who hang out on Twitter, in the Twitterverse. Yeah, I heard something about this. It was something about the he knew blue caused quite the stir. The what? I don't know what that means. <laughs> Wasn't it he knew blue? He, what does that mean? He he. Oh wait, no, it's she old red, right? Oh, oh that's a terrible joke. Thank you. <laughs> God, <laughs> I worked for minutes on it. <laughs> yeah, you just like he knew blue, and I and I was like, is that the person's <laughs> Twitter handle? I don't. Huh. Got him. Yes, yes, you did. All right. Well. So we're going to be talking about the missed trigger policy for for an episode on the rules surrounding the comprehensive rules surrounding triggers. I urge you to look back at one of our previous episodes. Uh, I believe one of them is titled The Wonderful Thing About Triggers. It is, and I listened to it myself a couple of hours ago. It's that- great. That is a level of show prep that I can only wish I I could get behind. Or not get behind, but I could bring myself to do. I'm terrified to listen to old content because if it has outdated content and I don't realize it, I'll definitely remember that for the future. <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is this one's just rules, so it actually holds up very well because there hasn't been significant changes to mistrigger rules. So just to remind everyone what a trigger is, because as we learn, players sometimes refer to everything as a trigger. Replacement effects, that's a trigger. Activated ability, that's a trigger. Um, playing a land, that's a trigger. Okay, so what is a trigger? That's a, that's a really good, good question. A trigger is a, an in-game effect that starts with one of three keywords. When, whenever, or at. Uh, and it is meant to place some kind of an interrupt. And don't use that word, but... Yeah, it's like, whoa, hold on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Charles said interrupt. No, um, but it's it's meant to um, create an action based upon uh, an, in-game effect, an, an in-game status. Yep. And like Charles said, they always use the words when, whenever, and at. They do not use words like as, or if, or... well. To start off, normally as an if uh, indicate replacement effects that look a lot like triggers, but are different. So you're a replacement effect. I <laughs> I, I don't have a comeback for that. I'm a self replacement effect. Yeah, yeah. I self I self replaced <laughs> twice yesterday. 
Anyway, uh, so the mist trigger policy, um, it has been around for quite a long time. Uh, so what is kind of the, the overall, like if you had to sum up the philosophy behind our mist trigger policy in just as few words as possible, what would it be? The current mist trigger policy? Well, no, the one from like uh, 30 years ago. No, okay. yeah, yeah no, the, the current one. The, cur- the current mist trigger policy is? Yeah. Um, in general, uh, unless it's a detrimental trigger, nothing bad is happening. Yeah, it's it's pretty yeah, much sounds about right actually. You know, missing your trigger is kind of the penalty for missing your trigger, right? Because triggers are common and they're everywhere. Since they're common and invisible, uh players should not be harshly penalized when forgetting them. And we're talking when we talk about harsh penalties, we're talking about harsh fixes, uh warnings, game losses, stuff like that. Just not getting your good thing is often punishment enough the guilt is punishment enough yeah so did either of you play uh back in the day we'll say like 20 2010 2011 that era i didn't really know what magic the gathering was in that era and and i came in immediately after that so i i've always i've always had the new or or some version of the new trigger policy okay so in understanding, a lot of times understanding where we are, understanding where we've been, where we've been is also important. Uh, so prior to prior to 2012, missing your trigger was a warning. Just like if you commit a game rule violation, it's a warning. Just like game rule violations, if you commit a game rule violation, your opponent, if they also noticed, if they noticed, they had to call a judge and point it out. Okay, and if they noticed and didn't call for a judge that was considered cheating that was it it was Ooh. you could get disqualified <laughs> uh for your opponent missing their shieldred trigger like either one either like you know i draw a card and gain two life if i missed that trigger and you noticed and you did not call a judge you were cheating that that doesn't okay. that doesn't only sound horrible. Why did anybody play magic under that? Well, guideline that that sounds that sounds wild to me. Well, you, you got to remember, triggers are supposed to happen. Like the game is being played correctly when those triggers happen, right? Normally, sure. I look back on on times of harsher penalties and think like, yeah, we should go back to that. Play your game right. But this yeah. one actually makes me look back and go, no, that, that's a little bit clown shoes. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you look at in the in this in this shielded case, I draw a card. I'm supposed to gain two life. You notice that I was supposed to gain two life, and you keep silent. Okay. That's that's a little bit of philosophically at the time that was a problem. But if you didn't call anything, if you if you called out and they're like, no, hey, you're supposed to gain two life, that was also kind of bad because. Now I'm helping you win or get your good thing. Like, you should be responsible for your own good thing, right? So it created a situation where we were actually incentivizing players to cheat. Right. Okay. That's really interesting. I can barely remember what's going on with my own deck, let alone anyone else's. I would have been disqualified instantly from every tournament. (laughs) Yeah. Also, uh, with... Watsy doing their new 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 world order thing, they started making a lot more triggers on creatures. A lot more triggers on enchantments. So we were also starting to run into a problem where your third warning for missed triggers upgraded to a game loss. 
Oh, they did the you get a trigger and you get a trigger and you get a trigger <laughs> thing, right? Yeah, it was if you missed your trigger three times, you that would be upgraded to a game loss. And so people, not only did that feel, that was terrible, because they were adding so many more triggers to the game that it was becoming easier and easier and easier to miss. Miss them. The penalty, the penalty was pretty severe, and we were incentivized opponents to cheat. So... Right. So we kind of made a philosophical change. And I hate saying this. We kind of decided to like, well, I mean, cheating in this case isn't so bad. If we make it legal, it's not cheating anymore. <laughs> I mean, that's the way. Technically correct. That is the way a lot of us saw it at the time, which was just, oh, they just made cheating legal. Um, in this. As a judge, I really want a big inflatable mallet to bonk people on the head with. There have been tournaments where judges have brought big inflatable mallets. See, that's that's exactly the kind of punishment you should get for missing a trigger. It's oh, actually, flawless. actually, bonk the player. Yeah, bonk them. Inflatable mallet. You know, there are judges that would put sand at the end, one end of the mallet. No, just... no, 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 no. I would do <laughs> no, so no, many no. events if I could bonk players with an inflatable, <laughs> like. And it, it's got to be one of the ones that like makes the squeaky sound too, not just oh, okay. a regular one. Well, then that's fine. <laughs> Okay, um, so yeah, so we made the philosophical change, both to reduce the number of penalties given for missed trigger, okay, uh, while still reflecting the way players play the game, and reduce the burden of opponents on helping their opponent play the game. I think the card that that really solidified it was this card called Shrine of I think it was Shrine of Burning Rage. I think. Oh, but... I have the penciled art for that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah? Yeah, so, I do. Shrine I of do. Burning Rage. I love that card. This was a card in huh, New Phyrexia uh, that was very popular in New Phyrexia. For two mana, it's an artifact. At the beginning of your upkeep, or whenever you cast a red spell, put a charge counter on Shrine of Burning Rage. And then you could spend three and sack it and deal damage equal to the number of charge counters on it to target creature or player. So, at the beginning of your upkeep, or whenever you cast a red spell, it's supposed to get a counter. So, if you cast a red spell and didn't put the counter on there, your opponent had to be, can you put a counter on it? And it, and it was just ticking up to what kill sword. you in a turn or two for three mana. It's terrible. It's a great card. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, they put together a group to figure out uh, how to create a policy that supported these goals where we need to allow players to miss their triggers and not have the opponents point this stuff out but have it not be cheating but and not give penalties but we still want to disincentivize cheating from the players who miss their triggers you know put all those requirements into a cauldron hit frappe or blender rather because i don't think cauldrons have speed settings you never know I mean, are, are blenders cauldrons? Who's I to mean, say that they aren't? Fight about that one in the comments. Yeah. <laughs> Send us a show note. Yeah. So now we have the current mistrigger policy. And it has survived mostly intact after a few revisions. We tried a very draconian policy, which was called like lapsing triggers, which was basically... You had to be Johnny on the spot and acknowledge your trigger. The second it went on the stack, you had to be like, blam, right there. And if you missed it, you didn't get it. And 
it didn't it didn't even last six months everyone hated it uh the players who missed their triggers thought that it was too strict and inflexible players uh, opponents would angle shoot and call judges over any you know any opportunity to say hey you missed your trigger and then and then they'd complain about how bad they felt it's like well i mean i feel kind of scumbaggy but the rules let me get away you know i feel really bad about it but not bad enough to stop (laughs) i I remember i remember that change i and i remember when lapsing triggers went away and i remember that there was much rejoicing across the land when I pitched the idea of the um, lanyards in the merch boxes, one of the mock-ups I sent in, just as an example, said something around on the lanyard like, please don't ask me about mis- or, or about lapsing triggers or I will cry. <laughs> <laughs> I think you sent me, you at least IM'd me that picture. And you might have said something like, we're not actually doing this, but LOL. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's some nonsense. LOL. Right. That's that. That's in fact most of our DMs to each other. I that, think that is a little bit of you know. Here's <laughs> all right. So so we changed from having to point out the trigger the second it goes on the stack to a more open philosophy. We changed it to say, all right, in order to get your trigger, you have to acknowledge the trigger by the time it would first matter. Or earlier, but when it would first matter. And there's a little bit later, we're going to break it down. There are four categories of triggers that, and then we're going to define when it first matters. And I'm doing finger quotes because <laughs> radio in a, in a bit. Okay. But what does the opponent get out of this, this mistrigger policy? So opponents are not required to point out triggered abilities that they don't control, which take takes a lot of burden off of them and and they can do so if they wish but yeah it's you're no longer going to get a finger wagged at you it's not your deck not your problem um so yeah this is a bit of an advantage so opponents gain the ability to keep silent um they do not however gain the ability to force a trigger to be missed nor are they entitled to a missed trigger yeah B- basically the opponent like like sama said your advantage is that you don't have to point it out. You don't gain an advantage where where you can trap them into missing their trigger, okay? If you are trying to work into your strategy for the game, your opponent missing the trigger, you should probably focus time on just improving the basic play skills. Choose not game. to do that instead. Yeah. And, and when we say this, one of the things that we're specifically talking about, and I think it's important kind of to point it out, is don't rush your opponent through their turn. I mean, if they're playing slowly, they're playing slowly. That's a whole different show. But don't sit there and just try and advance the game state continuously in the hopes that they're going to stumble and miss their trigger. Yeah, you you as the opponent do not get like carte blanche to assume that because they didn't say so right at that second that the triggers missed. Okay, and in fact, policy specifically says that triggers are assumed to be remembered until basically until the opponent has evidence like hard evidence that it was missed as part of the definition that we're going to go through in just a few innocent okay. until proven guilty yeah and this is the, this is the bit that that came up if an opponent needs to know if a trigger has been missed or not before this point they may have to acknowledge uh, the trigger earlier like um here's an example like 
you have a card that, like, there's a 2-2 creature with Exalted, right? It gets the plus one, plus one when it attacks. So attack with the 2-2 creature, and you've got a card in your hand that deals two damage. Okay, and for whatever reason, you don't cast it in response to the trigger. Let's just pass over that. Okay, but I swing with my Exalted creature. It's a 2-2, or maybe a 3-3. I don't know. You as the opponent might really want to know somehow, some way, if that trigger got remembered, right? You might need to figure out a way to acknowledge that trigger, like find out if that trigger's been acknowledged or not, which might remind the player that, oh yeah, I got an exalted trigger, right? That's that's kind of the, the, the dims the brakes. But again, the default is the trigger's assumed remembered until you have evidence that it doesn't. Now, if you do two damage to the creature and I pick up the creature and put it in my graveyard, well, that's a pretty good indication that I missed my trigger. But if you do two damage to my creature, and I go, okay, and I just keep looking at you, well, I just gave an indication that I remembered my trigger, right? I'd say so. Yeah. Yeah, the opponent, you don't get, as the opponent, you don't get to rely on an ambiguity in order to hold a player to a missed trigger. Like, if it's if it's unclear whether or not the trigger has happened or not, you don't get to just say, oh, well, it clearly hasn't happened, and then you get to go down that path of play, and then when you get proven wrong, you're like, no, 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 the ambiguity, I chose the ambiguity in my favor, so that's what should be the case. Basically, if you try to game the system, it will not end well for you, right? I mean, uh, I mean make- it might, it, it, yeah, it might not end well for you. Right, you're right. You can't, you can't, you can't believe that that's going to be the best path forward. Um, so, so you know, don't be a jerk. Yep. All right. Um, also, uh, for judges now, because the opponent can keep their yap shut when triggers are being missed, judges themselves are not supposed to step in for missed trigger situations unless we're going to issue a warning for a detrimental trigger. Or investigate for cheating. That part is honestly so hard to me. I hate seeing stuff get missed and I hate. (laughs) I always want to say something. Yeah, and and we're going to talk about detrimental triggers triggers in a little while. Um, But, you know, if you want to say something, we can always judge regular. And then that's a slightly different conversation. But all of this that we're talking about is in relation to comp rel policy. Yes. Now... I will say, as as advice to judges, specifically uh, newer judges who might be working in RCQ, and you see a trigger that's being missed, and you step in to say something, okay, thus reminding the player of their trigger, um, mm-hmm. that's, we definitely don't want players to do that, uh, and as a judge, it's not great that you did it, and the opponent's probably going to be really mad at you, but you can at least take a little bit of comfort in the fact that the game's being played more correctly now. Like that's kind of like if you're, if you're watching and you're scared to step in or not step in, like you're, you're on the fence, right? You you don't know if you should step in or not. If you make the wrong call, the end result is actually the game's going to be played a little bit more correct. I mean, obviously the opponent's going to be a little potentially a little miffed at you, but the game is going to be played more correctly. So it's not the end of the world. Not the end of the world. Yeah. We'll sur- the tournament will survive that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What else, what else do we have in our notes here? Yeah. 
Players also can't rush past an opponent's triggers in an attempt to get them to miss their window of opportunity. We talked about that a little already. Yep. What does that look like, though? Or what can that look like? Uh, is practice, my turn? I, is it my I, turn? Is it my oh, turn? Yeah, Is yeah, it my turn? turn? Are you done? Go, Are you done? Get him. Is it my turn? Go get him. Yeah. Get it. Hup. Get it. Okay, if, if Sama has an upkeep trigger... Oh, Charles, okay. I thought you meant was it your turn to talk on the show? I was no, like, no, yes, no, no, dang. no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not stopping you. Get on with it then. <laughs> if, if Sama has a trigger during my upkeep, God. and I go untap, upkeep, draw, play a land, and then you're like, hold on, I had a trigger, and you're like, no, and I'm like, no, I already drew and played a land. We're past that. You should have said something. Like we can't, the opponent can't force past that trigger, right? Correct. Exactly. And we've even got a little bit of a, a little bit more of a fudge factor, right? This last bullet, this last point here. During an opponent's turn, if a trigger's controller demonstrates awareness of the trigger before they take an active role, such as taking an action or explicitly passing priority, the trigger is remembered. So this handles cases where the non-active player has a trigger on AP's draw step. So active player draws and plays land quickly and starts to cast a spell. Non-active player can point their trigger out right before they acknowledge the spell resolving. Yeah. Basically, it's it's kind of acknowledging that sometimes players don't actually realize what's going on in their opponent's turn. Right. You know, they're looking through their land, or maybe they're doing the, the like, they're resolving a, uh, they're, they're shuffling up because they're resolving a search and their opponent's gone on. And now that they finish the shuffle, they present and then they're like, hey, I was supposed to get a thing on your turn. Right. Whoa, whoa, settle down. Okay. Right. <laughs> so it's very specifically... Though that it's, it is, uh, the triggers controller demonstrates awareness of the trigger before they take an active role, such as taking an action or explicitly passing priority. So the second they engage in the turn, they, that almost needs to be like the first thing they do when they engage with the turn. And, and they happen so quickly as well. You know, un, yeah. untap, upkeep, draw, it's like one, two, three, we're, we're, we're into first main. Right. I could, I could sit there and be like, all right, uh... You know, uh, do a thing, go, and I look at my cards, and like three seconds later, I look up, and you're like combat, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait, <laughs> hold on, right? What? <laughs> you, it, we'll find that over time, and when we examine different policies, that a lot of policy, uh, in some way, has something to do with time and the time of what's happening. Um, and and for players in a game, uh, they get a little bit of tunnel vision. Sometimes they, they don't realize how much time has passed or, or how quickly they've moved through something. But time is important to us as judges. And it's important to slow things down, figure things out, and, and break down what has happened between the players. So, so time is a, is a very important philosophy of the philosophy, if you will, hmm. when you're looking at it. Like I said, trigger, triggers are invisible. They do happen a lot. And we're trying to get them to... Res resolve as organically as possible. Like we're trying to match the trigger policy to the way players play the game. All right. right. So speaking of the way we play the game, there are four missed trigger definitions or types of tr categories of triggers. And four. This is, yeah. That's so many. Yeah. 
I, I'm actually surprised they can break it down into just four. <laughs> well, they they do kind of cheat by saying, you know, like a trigger that changes the game rules. It's like, okay, that's that's a lot. That's a lot. That's, that's a lot. There's a that, or, that's doing a lot of work. Yeah. So, what's the first one? So the first one is a triggered ability that requires its controller to choose targets other than target opponent modes or other choices made when the ability is put on the stack. Uh, the controller needs to announce these choices before they next pass priority. And and when we talk about these, I'm going to give a couple of card examples in a moment. But I want to point out why target opponent is not required. And it's because a comp rel, when there's just one opponent, choosing the opponent is implied. Um, yeah. There's only going to be one person there. Oh, you didn't choose me as your opponent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god! Choice. If I ever yeah. heard someone say that, I would lose my mind. Um, <laughs> I would so, lose my mind. So, what's really important also to note is with that, um, there is some comp realm multiplayer stuff that happens out there in the world. What? Uh, it does, and yeah. and because it does, and because we service everybody, we should note that um, in those cases. When it requires you to choose an opponent as part of targeting, uh, is this, yes, is you this have like, to do that. Is this people trying to make Comprel EDH happen? Uh, and it does. There's Quit trying there's to make Comprel EDH. We, we, we could actually—that's an interesting idea, a possible show topic. We could pull somebody on that is an expert in this and has kind of created a a sub rule set that that works for these types of events, but. Well, see, that's the anyway. thing, though. Is like, did they had to create it, though, right? Like, it's not official. Yeah, it's it works within the rules, um, but there are some additional guidelines that exist. Yeah, and even their guidelines don't kind of cover. Everything. I think you'd be surprised at how comprehensive it is. I've, 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 I've seen it. it. I've seen it. I've I've read it also, and was just like, eh. I mean, yeah, they they cover a lot of stuff, but but there's a lot of opportunity for angle shoots. It's, well, yeah, I mean, that's multiplayer. <laughs> Compro multiplayer honestly honestly does sound like nightmare mode in general so and and as someone who has judged uh comp rail two-headed giant Ooh. uh yeah it's bleh. um so but, anyway we've got some great examples here yeah. of of these uh of this uh need to choose targets and uh we're gonna go over just three of them here uh, one is Corpse Appraiser, which is a vampire rogue, and when it comes into the battlefield, uh, it exiles up to one target card from a graveyard. So when this card actually hits the battlefield, you have to declare the target card in the graveyard. Okay, So if you play the card and then you do a different action, a another game action, uh, such as enter combat, um, you would have missed this trigger at that point. Sky Sovereign Console Flagship has a trigger on it whenever uh, it enters the battlefield or it attacks. It deals three damage to target creature or planeswalker uh, an opponent controls. Same deal. Um, when you advance the game state past the point where this trigger can be recognized, you've missed it. And then uh, Elder Gargaroth. Where did you find this card? Uh, <laughs> M21. M21. Yeah. Elder, Elder Gargaroth. Uh, it's a beast. With a Vigilance, Reach, and Trample. <laughs> wow. Um, whenever it attacks or blocks, you choose one. And this is a modal spell, okay? Or a modal trigger, I'm sorry. Uh, so you have three options. You can create a 3-3 green beast creature token. You can 
gain three life or you can draw a card. You're not actually targeting anything here, but you have to make a choice with the trigger when it goes on the stack. Uh, otherwise, you have missed this trigger as well. Yeah, and the, and the philosophy behind this is in, in the first two cases, I as the opponent gotta know what you're gonna target before I can make an informed decision about what to what to do or how right. to respond. Right. And with the Gar Garoth, you know, maybe those three modes, I can't necessarily interact too much with them, but I still got to know what you're doing, right? So do that's that, what... That, that, that green beast token, which is probably what players who are playing it do the most, that's important to know that you're responding to that. Yeah. So that's... So the line for that, so we said you basically... You the trigger happens until the opponent has evidence that it didn't, and since targets and modes are things that happen when the trigger goes on the stack, if you progress past that point, that's evidence that the trigger was missed. What next? All right, our next example: um, a triggered ability that causes a change in the visible game state, including life totals, or requires a choice upon resolution. So, the controller must take the appropriate physical action or acknowledge the specific trigger before taking any game action, such as casting a sorcery spell or explicitly taking an action in the next step or phase. Um, that can be taken only after the triggered ability should have resolved. Um, note that passing priority, casting an instant spell, or activating an ability doesn't mean a triggered ability has been forgotten, as it, it could still be on the stack. So, we have two examples of this. Um... We have Shieldred the Apocalypse and Blood Tithe Harvester. I'm going to pull these up bigger so I can read them. So Shieldred the Apocalypse, um, two black black, legendary creature, Phyrexian Praetor. It's a four or five with Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain two life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose two life. That rules. I like this card. Yeah. But the, the life gain or the life loss is a visible game state change. Absolutely. Yeah. Got to keep track of that stuff. You, I, I hate having to figure out life totals when people have forgotten them. So please remember that those triggers. <laughs> please remember those. Um, and Blood Tithe Harvester, black and red, creature vampire, 3-2. When Blood Tithe Harvester enters the battlefield, create a blood token. Yeah. Um, so it's got more stuff, but that's the trigger. So like, create the blood token. <laughs> it's yeah. it, The blood token should be visible in some way. Right. And if in the, the case that came up that was making rounds was specifically the Shieldred, whenever an opponent mm -hmm. draws a card, they lose two life. Um, there was a player who drew a card. Okay. The opponent, they resolved the spell that allowed them to draw a card. The opponent didn't say anything. Okay. Then they played another instant spell that allowed them to draw another card. And after that spell resolved, the opponent said, okay, lose four. And the the concern was, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, I cast the spell, the second draw spell, or they, they'd missed their first trigger. I cast the spell with, with the stack being empty. And, you know, right there in policy, we said that note that passing priority, uh, casting an instant spell or activating ability doesn't mean a triggered ability is forgotten as it could still be on the stack. Yep. Now, if the opponent had cast a sorcery spell, which is something that can only be cast when the stack is empty, the shielded player would have had to say, okay, uh, yes, but, you know, preempt that and said, but you, you, you need to lose two life before you can cast that sorcery. Right. Okay. That would give us, if you cast a sorcery, 
and I wait until that resolves and I go, okay, now you take four because of Shieldred. That's evidence that I missed my trigger because I let you cast a sorcery spell, which means you would have had to done it with an empty stack, which means I would have missed the trigger. Because the penalty is not forgotten trigger, it's missed trigger. So, And then the Blood Tide Harvester, the blood token that it puts on the battlefield, that's a visible change. Okay, what's next? Well, we have a, a triggered ability that changes the rules of the game, is the third instance. And in these cases, the controller must acknowledge the trigger or stop an opponent who tries to take a resulting illegal action from, from the game change rule. Um, our example for this one is um, the Acroan War and Wall of Frost, and we're going to take them separately um, because they really don't interact together. Um, the Acroan War is a saga for three and a red, and it's got three abilities. The second ability is the one that we really want to talk about, the, the second chapter. And it's until your next turn, creatures your opponent control attack each combat if able. So it, this has changed the rules for combat, right? Um, until the next turn, if your opponent enters combat, uh, if, okay, in, until your next turn. So you you play this on your turn. You, you advance to chapter two. Um, on your opponent's turn, if your opponent has creatures and there's no rule preventing them from entering combat, uh, such as a, like a Mog Flunky that has to have a, another creature to attack, um, those creatures have to attack, yeah. right? Yep, your um, opponent can't say, draw, go. Yeah, your opponent can't, can't just go to the next turn. Well, or they could try. Right? right, but it's your responsibility to make sure that they're actually doing the action. Right, so... If if uh, if Charles has a crow in war, ticks it up. Yeah. Okay. Then on my turn, I draw a card and go go, and Charles says, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! You got to attack." Uh, okay, fine. You you or he prevented me from taking the illegal action. He indicated awareness of the trigger. Now, if I say draw go, and he goes all right and starts to untap, well, then he just uh. You know, did not stop me from from saying go. He, I have evidence that he missed his trigger. Right, right. And if I'm playing a Crone War, it's probably to my advantage that Brian attacks me for some ridiculous reason. I probably have some setup where, um, in the cases where I'm I'm using it, uh, it's to my advantage for him to attack, probably into bad blocks or something like that. So, you know, you want to make sure that you're aware of your triggers and you want to make sure that you're proceeding with them. Uh, in this case, uh, the the other example that we have is Wall of Frost, and Wall of Frost is a is a uh, 07 defender uh, for one and two blue, and it says whenever Wall of Frost blocks a creature, that creature doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So um, Brian would attack into my Wall of Frost, the trigger would go on the stack, and it would just sit there, uh, and the only time that I need to demonstrate it is when Brian go, when it becomes Brian's turn and he goes to untap his creature, uh, at which point in time we need to we need to stop him from doing that. I I actually think also the extra turn uh, ability from Immerkul fits into this it as does. well. It does, and, and yeah. I knew that you had it there for another reason further down, but but absolutely with Emrakul the Aeon's torn, um, it has a an extra turn ability. Um, where it says, when you cast a spell, take an extra turn after this one. You still have to demonstrate, uh, and it is a, it is a rule change for, for the game, for, for the rules of the game. 
um, because generally you don't get two turns in a row. It's not something that happens. You're not supposed to do that. It's unnatural. Blue players, are you taking note? But when you uh, cast the spell, you you get the extra turn, and you have to call attention to that um, when it reaches the end of your turn and before it goes to somebody else's turn and they start, um, you know, completing their their uh, opening steps of untap, upkeep, draw. And this next one here is the one that I think gets people in the most trouble. Oh, this one's confusing. That is, it's so a triggered ability that affects the game in or the game state in non-visible ways. And what we mean by, um, well, before we talk about what that means, is the controller must make the change known by the first time the change has an effect on the visible game state. And so, what do, what do we mean by a non-visible change? Generally speaking, this is power and toughness changing effects. So, any exalted creature. When it attacks, you know, if it attacks alone, it gets the plus one, plus one. Uh, Mausoleum Wanderer is uh, has a trigger that says whenever another spirit enters the battlefield under your control, Mausoleum Wanderer gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. Whereas things like uh, Arena and Magic Online, it tick those numbers up for you. There's no counter that goes on Mausoleum Wanderer or the Exalted Creature. It just has plus one, plus one. So that is a non-visible effect on the game if whenever this creature attacks it gains flying or whenever this creature attacks it gains menace you know those are non-visible changes and the controller must make the change known by the first time the change has a visible effect so when i was talking earlier about um like someone cast shock so i've got my mausoleum wanderer out it's a one one i play two spirits okay and then go to combat i haven't said anything i just play two spirits i go to combat and my opponent tries to shock to damage to target creature, my Mausoleum Wanderer. Now, if I pick that Mausoleum Wanderer up and put it in the graveyard, I have just indicated that I forgot uh, or I missed my trigger. I did not indicate um, that I was aware. I did not acknowledge that change the first time it would matter. Additionally, uh, if I just leave it there on the battlefield and say, okay, it's a 3-3, all right. Uh, or if I attack... And then you go no blocks, and I go, okay, take three. That's the first time it would matter. Now, if I attack, you know, I've played my two spirits. I attack with the Muslim Liam Wanderer, and Sama is my opponent. And Sama says, you know, after we're in declare blockers, Sama goes, that's a 1-1, one, one, right? And I go, yeah. Well, I just indicated that, that I had missed my triggers. But if I'm like, no, it's a 3-3, three, three, then I have indicated that I haven't ultimately is the first time the the first time something that happens in the game that requires you to acknowledge the trigger you've got to you've got to do that yeah but is that clear i think so ma'am all right clear enough for government work yeah the next little bit is a trigger that's been acknowledged but not acted on is a game rule violation not a missed trigger you didn't miss the trigger. I just didn't do the thing. So if I have a, an ability that says, uh, let's let's use Mausoleum Wander, a modified model, Mausoleum Wander, where it's whenever a spirit enters the battlefield under your control, Mausoleum Wander gets a plus one plus one counter. Okay, that's a really good. But I play a spirit and I go and I point to the Mausoleum Wander and I go trigger, and then I later go into combat. Well, that's treated as a game rule violation because I didn't miss my trigger. I didn't do the thing the trigger told me to do. 
which I realize that we're splitting hairs, but we're judges. Splitting hairs is what we do. I don't see the word counter on mausoleum. I I, I made up a I made up a modified mausoleum. Mausoleum wonder. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So kids at home, you know, don't read Mausoleum Wanderer and send us a letter. It's okay. Right, right. It. right, right. It was a modified Mausoleum Wanderer because it was right there. If it said <laughs> it got a counter each turn and I didn't put a I said trigger, but I didn't put a counter on it, that would be, got it, would got be it. a game rule violation. All right. So we got a, a few other bits and bobs here. Um, triggered abilities that do nothing except create a delayed trigger ability resolve automatically without having to acknowledge them. The delayed trigger must be acknowledged, though. You don't get to go into complete autopilot there, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, triggers that do nothing but create copies of a spell or ability, like Storm, also automatically resolve, but you still have to demonstrate awareness using the same requirements above. Yeah, like if you copy a spell with targets, you know, you've got to you've got to indicate what the targets are, that kind of so, thing. So you have to stay on target. Yep. Stay on if, target. Stay on if target. You gotta, if you if you copy a um, if you copy a triggered <laughs> ability that causes life gain, you've gotta gain the life at the correct period of time, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Some more if, of these other. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, if a triggered ability would have no impact on the game, like during your upkeep, sacrifice a creature, and you have no creatures, you don't have to acknowledge that trigger. <laughs> yeah, because the game says right. The game says you are not allowed to deliberately miss your own triggers. So if we didn't have that clause in there, you would actually have to say, trigger on the stack, I got no creatures to sacrifice. See, that, that's kind of that, that's how I play, because that's the only way I remember anything going on. <laughs> okay. I would absolutely say that out loud. Um, also, demonstrating awareness of an optional trigger, you may do something that has no visible effect. It's assumed you have made the affirmative choice unless the opponent responded, like Eldrazi Mimic. After the yeah. opponent responds, you can still choose if the trigger is going to happen or not. So this one actually, let me see if I can remember this this situation. This came up in a, a pro tour. Um, so let me, okay, so Eldrazi Mimic is a creature that says, when another colorless creature enters the battlefield under your control, you may change Eldrazi Mimic's base power and toughness to that creature's power and toughness until end of turn. So if I play a 4-4 Eldrazi, okay, and I don't say anything, it's assumed that my Eldrazi Mimic, because it says I may change the power and toughness, it's assumed that I did that thing, okay, that I changed its power and toughness, okay? It says, so it's assumed that I have made the affirmative choice unless the opponent responds, all right? Now, if the opponent responds, if I cast Dismember, on the 4-4 that entered the battlefield, it's now going to be a 0-0, and my mimic would then get the 0-0's power, you know, the 0-0's power and toughness. So that's where it's saying, um, in playing that 4-4, my Eldrazi mimic is going to be a 4-4. If nothing else is said, nothing else is done, my Eldrazi mimic is going to be a 4-4. If my opponent uh, dismembers my 4-4, before the Eldrazi Mimic, before I've acknowledged the Eldrazi Mimic trigger or not, well, then I can choose the May, or the fact that I don't put the Eldrazi uh, the Mimic into the graveyard means that I chose the no, I'm not gonna option of the May. All right? So, yeah. I know this is inconsequential, but Eldrazi Mimic is probably, I think, the least cute Eldrazi. 
just looking at no, that's nose. that's absolutely the most that's important. It really is. It is to me. <laughs> All right, a player <laughs> controlling another player is responsible for that player's triggers in addition to their own. So, I I remember getting asked this a lot around. What was it like, Eldritch Moon? People like, can I yeah. just miss their stuff and get them disqualified? Yeah. It's like, calm down. No. Well, yeah, because there was there was the Embercole in there that let you control your opponent's turn. Right. Now this is this is there's a one sentence um, bit in the definition of mistrigger that I do want to remind judges of. Okay, out of order sequencing is still a thing. Uh, an example is like a batch of things. Uh, um, so if I have a trigger that happens, if I have a trigger that happens like every time a creature enters the battlefield or whenever a creature enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on it, and I tap six mana and drop uh three uh bear cubs and then put a plus one plus one counter on each of them i didn't miss those triggers that's out of order sequencing the opponent has the right to say like whoa whoa, whoa, hold on i want you to do that in the correct order okay but i just dropping my three bear cubs and putting counters on them i didn't miss anything okay so you need it you need to exercise a little bit of of judgment uh in that particular case that makes sense Okay, so we've talked about the definition. We've talked a little bit about the philosophy. Uh, the next bits are the fixes and the infractions, right? Or not the infractions, the fixes and the penalties. Can can we fix it, Bob the Builder? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so so with the fix, uh, mistrigger's different from other infractions because the penalty and the fix, they aren't linked. Um, the, the penalty does not dictate the fix. So let's talk about how to fix mistriggers. Uh, and the fix the tr- doesn't change either based right. on the penalty. Right. Um, if the triggered ability is an enter the battlefield uh, trigger of an aura that affects only the enchanted permanent, such as in the case of uh, claustrophobia, and I'll, I'll describe claustrophobia in a second, but if it causes a visible change to that permanent, you resolve the ability immediately. Um, claustrophobia is an enchantment that targets a, a creature. Um, when claustrophobia enters the battlefield, you tap enchanted creatures. So let's say you played claustrophobia and the creature didn't get tapped. That's what we're talking about here. You, you, you just change the term, the, the permanent to, to be tapped as a part of the fix. Um, this can also include enter the battlefield abilities that put counters on things. Yeah, I forget why we added this specifically specifically the resolve it immediately because this has no expiration so if you somehow realize this eight turns later you're still going to resolve that that trigger immediately there is no expiration it is not milk this feels similar to the philosophy i forget what it was but if something needs to change zones like in in your grv for for simple fixes Uh, right it's it feels like the same basic philosophy where I, you know you know it's supposed to be this thing you change it. I think I, I think it has something to do with generally speaking with something like claustrophobia. I'm casting it on your creature, and so I kind of cast it and assume you're going to do the thing on it because that's why I'm casting it. You're going to tap it down, and then you don't. I. I'm unclear as to as to the philosophy as to why, but it's something in that area. Right. Okay. 
But uh, this can also include not just tapping things down, but it can also include putting counters on it. You know, plus one, plus one, vigilance counters, all that fun stuff. Some visible it's, change. It's just got to be a visible change, yes. Got it. Um, if the triggered ability is a delayed triggered ability that undoes a zone change, including token creation caused by the effect that created the delayed triggered ability, then the opponent chooses whether to resolve the ability the next time a player would get priority or when a player would get priority at the start of the next phase. The new zone does not need to be the same as the one the card was originally moved from. Yeah, that's a lot of words. Yeah, and, and I'm not... Words. I, I've read it three times, and I'm still not entirely sure okay. what we're, we're so, talking about here. Can you give me a good example? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Kiki Jiki, the, the OG Kiki Jiki, although I guess the fa Fable of the Mirror Breaker is... But OG Kiki Jiki... Um, has an ability that says tap, create create a token that's a copy of target non-legendary creature you control. That token has haste. Sacrifice, sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. So that ability is creating a delayed trigger to get rid of the token. Okay, and it is going. It is causing. It, it essentially undoes a zone change. And we're using. We're squinting a little bit here. In, in terms of like using English as opposed to calling like an, a zone change trigger. So so this ability of Kiki Jiki brought a token onto the battlefield. And then it has a delayed trigger ability to sacrifice it that undoes its the token's creation. Okay. And so what we're saying is, is if that sacrifice gets missed, you don't get to just say like, oh, I missed it. Um, so I get to keep it, right? And you go like, no, well, well, the opponent, they get to say like, no, 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 I want that trigger to happen. And in that particular case, the, the Kiki-Jiki token would disappear. But then we have this pesky card, uh, called Obsidat, the Ghost Council, okay? Which has an ability that says, at the beginning of your end step, you may exile Ob Obsidat. So I'm taking it off the battlefield and putting it into exile. Then it says, if you do... Return it to the battlefield under its owner control at the beginning of your next end step. Okay, that's a delayed triggered ability that's linking. So that's so the trigger is moving it into exile, and then it's creating a delayed triggered ability that's going to bring it out from exile back into the battlefield. Okay, so it's a triggered it's a trigger the it's a delayed trigger that undoes a zone change caused by the effect that created the, the delayed trigger. Okay. So in that particular case, so in the in the in the Kiki Jiki case, we really want to get rid of its the token. In the Obsidat case, we need to bring the creature back. But creatures bringing Obsidat back, let's say in the middle of combat when you're attacking the player with the Obsidat, like having that Obsidat appear in the middle of combat would kind of suck. So what we're doing is is we're saying the uh, the opponent gets to decide. If we're going to do that trigger, if we're going to bring the Obsidat back or get rid of the Kiki Jiki token or get rid of the Angel token for the Geist of Saint Traft, you could decide, are you going to do it now or are you going to do it at the start of the next phase? So basically the opponent who didn't forget their trigger, you know, the, the they get to decide which is strategically more advantage advantageous to them. Oh, okay. so, so no surprise Ghost Council. Right. Surprise! Right. Well, it's that's what happened to cause... Scrooge. <laughs> yeah. 
it would so so yeah it might suck it might suck for the kiki jiki player because i just lost my token okay but i'm also the one that i shouldn't have that creature anyway i shouldn't have it in the first place so the fact that i'm disadvantaged by my creature disappearing in combat is is kind of part of the penalty of me forgetting in the first place and reality i should probably be investigated a little bit because that's a little sus <laughs> now there is another card uh, I want to say about four years ago, this particular clause included prized amalgam, Santa. but it got reworded so that it doesn't anymore. So prized amalgam does not count. So prized amalgam has an ability that says whenever a creature enters the battlefield, if it entered uh, from your graveyard or you cast it from your graveyard, return prized amalgam from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped at the beginning of the next end step. That is a delay to trigger. That causes a zone change, okay? But the key is it's not undoing a zone change caused by the trigger. It's not It's not like whenever a creature enters the battlefield, put prized amalgam in your graveyard, and then at the beginning of your next end step, you get to pull prized amalgam out of the graveyard and put it back on the battlefield. Like if that, if that nonsensical trigger that I just made up was the wording, this policy would absolutely apply, okay? But putting prized amalgam onto the battlefield is an undoing any any part of the ability so it doesn't count it used to but that was a little too good like people were abusing it so we changed the policy to exclude it okay so so those two previous types of triggers are determined misses they they just happen um regardless of how long it's been since the trigger happened right mm -hmm. um now for the remaining so. types of triggers the first thing we look at is how long it's been since the triggers have been missed if the ability was missed prior to the current phase in the previous turn, or if the triggered ability created an effect whose duration has already expired, you just instruct the players to keep playing. They, you know, play on, you've missed it, it can't come in, it's done. So an example of that is um, whenever I play, like, landfall, whenever I play a land, my creature gets plus two, plus two until end of turn. So I play a land on my turn, I forget my trigger, okay, um... And then my opponent begins uh, begins their turn, okay? And then during that turn, we're like, oh, I missed my trigger. Well, that trigger had a duration, plus two, plus two, until end of turn. That turn already ended. So that's the, if the triggered ability created an effect whose duration has already expired, instruct the players to continue playing. Sounds good. Makes sense. And then uh, if the triggered ability isn't covered by the previous uh, instructions, the opponent chooses whether the triggered ability is added to the stack. If it is, it's inserted at the appropriate place on the stack, if possible, or on the bottom of the stack. Uh, no player may make choices for the triggered ability involving objects that would not have been legal choices when the ability should have triggered. For example, if the ability instructs a player to sacrifice a creature that player can't sacrifice a creature that wasn't on the battlefield when the ability should have triggered. That makes sense, too. Yeah. And if you've played in a comp rel event with Miss Trigger, you might have seen the situation where the judge will look at the opponent and say, like, do you want to put the trigger on the stack? Normally, since most triggers are positive things, the opponent's going to go, <laughs> no. Okay. But they might be feeling generous, or it might be a, a trigger that's actually bad for you, in which case, yeah, we're going to... We're going to put that on the stack. Part of this also depends on the community. And I don't want to go too deep in the woods, weeds here, but I've seen different 
treatment of the rules by legacy and vintage players as opposed to maybe standard players. Um, legacy and vintage, while they are very rule savvy and they know what the rules are, I think they're more, um, I've seen them be more generous in terms of giving the player that, that trigger. They're just happy to have a tournament that they can play in. Uh, it, part of it's part of it's that part of it's that um, Eternal Weekend was a thing and it had 438 players at Legacy, which is pretty impressive. Amazing, I, I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, um, but uh, no, I think I, I think they're they're both happy to be there, but they're also uh, they also really just love the game for the game, and I think that makes a difference. I know this sounds silly, but like Legacy players love Legacy. <laughs> like, and like obviously but like they really love legacy in my right, experience right. and it's a small community they all know each other so it's i think again it's a little different because of that anyway as a judge after the match is over if someone says like no you can you know you can have that card or whatever from the trigger it is entirely appropriate for you as a judge to like tell that player hey that was a really cool thing you did after the match after the match Right. It's just is just give them give them a, an attaboy or, you know, give them a little dope of, shot of dopamine or whatever. Give them because, the old cool guy thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> now, one other thing, though, is to not do is let the player who missed the trigger kind of start to bully the opponent into letting them have the trigger. You know, mm-hmm. where they say like, oh, come on, come on. It was just a few seconds. Come on. Why you got to be that way? Do you really want to win that way? You know, yes. That kind of stuff, you need to (laughs) shut that down. The more matter of fact you can be as a judge in that interaction, the better. Um, Do you want to put the trigger on the? Do you you want to put the trigger on the stack? No. Okay, move on, and just just help help progress the game. Yeah, yeah, that's. So obviously, you you can't really say it this way, but every time I have to instruct the players to keep playing or to move on in some way, in my head, I'm always thinking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail, where they're just like, "Get on with it." (laughs) get on with it if you are a judge and someone takes takes it bad that their opponent would not give them the trigger stick around it's actually um i dq'd a player without ever seeing who the player was over a situation like this um two players are two players are playing um one of them misses their trigger okay the they call a judge the judge, uh, you know, asks the opponent, do you want him to have the trigger? Player says no. Guy gets mad, loses 10, 20 seconds later because of that, gets angry, slaps his opponent's deck. What? And then storms out. What? So they come, head judge at the time, they come up to me and they tell me what the situation is. And hmm. I'm like, where is this person? We can't find him. And I'm like, well, he's gone regardless. You know, uh, yeah. So he better stay going. Yeah. Didn't collect a statement from him. Never saw him. Just you know, bounced him. Told the TO not to let him back in if we see him. And I have no idea who it was. Do not collect off into the sunset. Uh, yeah. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh, rough. So what's the penalty? How, yeah. How do we what's do the this? penalty? What do we do about it? So, generally, the penalty for missed trigger is you don't get your trigger. But sometimes missing your trigger is good, and we need to be able to track those. Yeah. So, yeah, so we introduce a concept mm. called a detrimental trigger. Um, now, 
what there there's no concept of a beneficial trigger yeah it's not oh it's not bad triggers versus good triggers eh, eh, maybe we just have bad and not bad yeah well, who's a good trigger who's a good trigger things None that, of them. okay maybe some it, triggers that are not bad are good i that's well, that's a whole philosophical thing we no. can get into you know okay so think think about it this way we don't want people sitting around arguing whether or not a a inconsequential trigger is beneficial or not right uh, like like target creature you know uh creature gains flying when it already has flying who cares that's that's not a good trigger necessarily it's not doing anything good it's trying you know. its hardest, Brian. <laughs> Stop being so judgmental, Brian. I'm just saying that there's some triggers that aren't good, but they ain't bad either. So they get lumped in with you have detrimental and then not detrimental. And those mediocre triggers <laughs> get lumped in with the non-detrimental ones. So how do we tell if a trigger's detrimental? Uh, so the super easy way is to go to the, uh, rules resource page on, uh, blogs.magicjudges.org and reference their handy dandy detrimental, uh, guide, detrimental trigger guide, where they list all the new, all the most recent sets and then tell you whether or not a trigger is or is not detrimental. Okay. But you might not be able to do that. Okay, or you might be playing Legacy or Vintage or something like that. So realistically, in order to figure out if a if a trigger is detrimental, um, you just kind of look at the trigger and say like, well, is the card better without the trigger? If the card is better without the trigger, then it's probably detrimental. Right, if you were the player and you go, man, I wish this part didn't happen. Yeah. It's because it's detrimental. <laughs> now let's look at the uh, card that people bring up a whole lot because uh, we're not supposed to consider the game state. Okay. Detrimental trigger has to be detrimental on its own. Uh, Dark Confidant, which is reveal the top card of your library, uh, lose life equal to its its mana value, and then put it into your hand. Okay. Well, you're losing life. That means it's detrimental, right? Yeah, but well, what if I'm playing that cool deck with the, the one guy that wants me to have life less than 13? I forget what it is. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, the, 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 the bit with Dark Confidant is without that trigger, it is a... Two mana, two one. That's that's not even going to make your draft pile. Like that's not going to be in your draft deck. But Dark Confidant was for the longest time one of the best creatures in the game because of that trigger. So you can't really make an argument that that trigger is generally detrimental, right? So in the case of Dark Confidant, if you remove that trigger, the card gets worse. Okay. So with um, it, it's better. Therefore, would you say it's good? Would you say it's a good trigger? <laughs> In this specific case, yes. Hmm. Okay, but there's some okay. other triggers that are terrible, but aren't detrimental. Okay, um, so again, you don't necessarily consider the game state. Um, and again, I suggest people go and look at the detrimental guide to get a sense of what is considered a detrimental trigger and what isn't. Recently, it's been pretty clear what is and is not considered detrimental. But they can get kind of kind of wacky occasion. Uh, cemetery. Let's see here. Cemetery gatekeeper. Cemetery gatekeeper enters the battlefield. Exile a card from a graveyard. When a player plays a land or casts a spell. Oh, that's because it's symmetrical. Which is the next thing that we were going to talk about. Okay, symmetrical effects. A symmetrical effect like Howling Mine. So Howling Mine is during each player's upkeep, they draw an extra card during the draw step. Right. That is a good trigger. 
or a non-detrimental trigger when you're the one drawing the card, and it is a detrimental trigger when your opponent is drawing the card. So you can consider symmetrical effects. You can look at the player that's being affected to determine whether or not effect a trigger is detrimental or not. Okay. That makes sense. Yep. And when you are stepping in, when someone misses their detrimental trigger, you are going to be stepping in to give the warning. Bum, bum, bum. Yep. What's another uh, example of a detrimental trigger, Mr. Federer? Well, um, we do want to talk about the card Demonic Pact, I think, right? Sure. Um, Demonic Pact is an enchantment for two and two black, uh, and it has the following modes. At the beginning of your next upkeep, choose one that has not been chosen. Demonic Pact deals four damage to target creature or player, and you gain four life. Target, uh, the next mode is target opponent discards two cards. Uh, an option is to draw two cards. And then the last option is you lose the game. Well, that you lose the game sounds pretty awful and, and definitely detrimental, right? But the other yeah. modes aren't. Um, so we don't consider the trigger itself to be generally detrimental there in most cases until all of the other three modes have been chosen. It's not detrimental yeah. until it is. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So... Now let's let's talk about some weird cases that come up on occasion. Okay, so you guys know the the packed cycle, right? From a uh, time spiral block, like the zero the zero mana spells that make you pay during your next upkeep. Yeah, I'm just sitting here staring into space. Oh, okay. So uh, I'll post this card in the in the show notes. This card is called Pact of the Titan. Okay. Uh, there's there's five packs, one for each color. But Pact of the Titan is a zero mana spell that creates a 4-4 red giant creature token. It's an instant. It says at the beginning of your next upkeep, pay four red. If you don't, you lose the game. Okay, so at the end of Charles, at the um, during the thing, Charles attacks me. Um, I play Pact of the Titan, make a 4-4 red giant giant creature token. Now I've got six lands. Okay, but I pay the zero, make my 4-4 creature block. Charles ends his turn. I untap, draw my card. Okay, okay. I have forgotten my trigger. Okay, now you, as the opponent, you can call for a judge and have that trigger put on the stack, right? I mean, I'm going to get a warning. That's a detrimental trigger. Like, losing the game is, we just established that's the definition of detrimental, mm-hmm. right? Right. So call I call a judge, okay? And we're going to put the trigger on the stack. Well, remember I said I got six lands, so I can just pay the pay the five and go on my merry way, right? Well, you, Charles, as my opponent, can actually wait for me to cast another spell. I pay three <laughs> mana and drop a creature. Right. Then and you no longer you have me. the mana to pay the five. I no longer have the mana to pay the five. You call for a judge, trigger goes on the stack, I lose the game. You should have now, known about your trigger, Brian. I mean, it's all your fault, really. Yeah, Brian. It is. It it absolutely is. Like, like I can get upset and be like, oh, he waited until I cast a creature to call a judge. Okay, but I still missed my trigger during the upkeep. I have to own that. Like, I should have realistically lost the game already you know the fact that i played a creature was i was 
was, you know, on borrowed time because I didn't pay. Because it says at the beginning of your next upkeep, pay for. If you don't, you lose the game. Now, this is a change. We changed this about five years ago to, to, the, to, the, current, uh, to the current policy. So I won't go into what we changed it from. But there is nothing wrong with that. Like, I mean, maybe if you want to say, like, you know, Charles in that particular situation was a little bit sharky. Okay. But <laughs> I, if I, if I had remembered my trigger, if I'd paid the five, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't have gotten the blown out blowouts. Right. And that's a pretty big deal trigger to miss. And I'm probably going to get investigated. So I can only be so mad or Playing on just, I can only time. be, I can only be justifiably so mad. All right. Um, now the next thing is ward cards with um ward or i'm gonna i'm gonna use frost giant as an example because that's that's a little funner than did i not frost giant what's that? frost titan there we go frost giant is a horrible card frost <laughs> titan is amazing okay so here's frost titan so frost titan is a big is a big six six uh cold boy uh that says whenever frost titan becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls counter that spell unless its controller pays two, okay? So I play a, a, a Doomblade targeting Charles Frost Titan, okay? I don't know why it's my Frost Titan. I don't play blue. Okay, so it's Samus Frost Titan. She doesn't play blue. No, I, I'm notorious for playing blue. It's then very it's well y'all's, known. It's y'all's Frost blue. Titan. It's y'all's Frost Titan. <laughs> um, the people's Frost Titan. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So in this in this particular case, it says whenever it becomes the target of a spell or ability an opponent controls, the counter that spell or ability unless its controller pays two. So it's Charles's trigger that requires me to make a choice. Okay, so Charles can't just stay silent, and then when I put my Doom Blade in the graveyard, be like, oh well, clearly he didn't pay the two. So it got count. That means it got countered. Okay, it's Charles's trigger that requires me to make a choice, which means he has to ask me. He has to basically say, "Did you pay the two, or are you gonna pay the two? And, and let me okay. step outside of this for one second. I've watched yes. brand new players, and this is basically Ward, right? Uh, yes, I've watched brand new players play at F and M. Um, have this exact interaction where there's a ward creature on one side and there's a there's some type of kill spell on the other side and they figure this out organically every time it's just something that makes sense right you have to have that interaction that that conversation between the players and they do it yeah yeah specifically though if you if you as a judge need something concrete the sentence is even if an opponent is involved in the announcement or resolution of the ability, the controller is still responsible for ensuring the opponents make the appropriate choices and take the appropriate actions. So you, Charles, you, Charles, as the controller of the trigger, are responsible for making sure that I'm aware that I have the choice of having my spell countered or paid to. Yeah, right. Charles. Yeah, yeah, and if, yeah. And if you try and do that thing where I'm going to stay silent, well, you kind of demonstrated by not giving me that choice, you demonstrated awareness that you missed your trigger. Great. Womp, womp, put that Frost Titan in the graveyard, boy. Yeah. 
but right. it works. It it really does. It's great. Word is an amazing ability. I'm so glad they are yeah. using it and templating it more. Yep. All right. So last little bit uh, when dealing with Miss Trigger is we have uh, two shortcut policies that interact weirdly with Miss Trigger. Um, I think we should probably do the second the second one first because that's a little easier to understand. It's less time travely, timey wimey, wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Yes. If the active player passes priority with an empty stack during their second main phase, or uses a phrase such as "go" or "your turn" at any time, the non-active player is assumed to be acting in the end step unless they are affecting how or whether an end of turn ability triggers. End of turn triggered abilities that do not target resolve after the non-active player passes priority. Yeah. So in in practice, if you have a if you have a trigger that says at the beginning of your end step, draw a card. Okay. And I say, or or that's I have that ability, and I say to Sama, go. Okay. And Sama doesn't do anything. She's like, okay, and then she goes to start the her turn. I can be like, hold on. Because again, it says end of turn triggered abilities that that do not target resolve after the non-active player passes priority. So I tell Sama go. Sama says, "All right." Starts to untap. Up oh, my draw card trigger resolve after she passes passes priority. So I can still draw my card. Okay. Because when I say when I say go, I want to go to the end of the turn, but she might have stuff to do during my second main phase. Or, you know, to maybe destroy my enchantment that's going to let me draw a card at the end of turn. Something along those lines. So there is a little bit of, you know, weirdness in the fact that I'm actually trying to... I say go, the shortcut wants to kind of advance the game to pass the point where the trigger would go on the stack. And then when she, when she doesn't do anything, then my trigger resolves. So when I say go, when Sam is answering the question okay or acknowledging it, the stack is not empty. Okay, but if the triggered ability has a target, then I've kind of got to say like go target, you know, go and then declare my target because because Sam needs that information at the end of her turn as to what's being targeted. Go go gadget trigger. Yep. Does anyone want to take the next one? All right. <clears throat> if the active player passes priority with an empty stack during their first main phase. The non-active player is assumed to be acting in the beginning of combat unless they are affecting whether a beginning of combat ability triggers. Then, after those actions resolve or no actions took place, the active player receives priority at the beginning of combat. Beginning of combat triggered abilities, even ones that target, may be announced at this time. Wasn't this rewritten a lot, this particular thing, when uh, vehicles became... Oh yeah, Turn viable. a thing that that that's when this really came to a head, right? Right, right. Yeah. So this is this is base and Watsi at, has ad, has created a lot of cards that say like at the beginning of combat, you know, at the beginning of combat X happens. So this is basically what this particular situation is: is when I say combat, okay, I'm saying I want to. It's it's a little ambiguous as to whether I'm saying I want to go to the beginning of combat step or I want to turn my creature sideways and smash face. So when you, the opponent, respond in the beginning of combat step, okay, you didn't bounce me past my ability to put my beginning of combat triggers on the stack. So again, it's a little weird. There's a little bit of time travel involved because when I say combat, when you say okay, 
really technically my triggers should already be on the stack but because we don't really know what you're saying okay to or what you're going to do we kind of do a little bit of like okay okay now that you've done stuff now we're going to put those triggers on the stack and go so we're if a strict reading of the comprehensive rules and the way turn turns work we're kind of upending that a little bit on the tournament shortcuts but tournament shortcuts are there to make the game play like humans actually play the game and not like the the comp rules say because i don't know if you've ever played a technically precise game of magic it's miserable it's not fun <laughs> it's it's really not yeah like it's something like, that was brought up again on the twitters not that long ago yeah um it's it's uh something that is so time consuming that you know you your uh, eyes start to uh, uh weep at the, the thought of it it's terrible it's it's fun to do as like a theoretical goofy practice just no it's not to do i think it's i, I mean it's amusing to be like wow this is a lot it's, <laughs> and then it's, never do it again for another like couple of years it's one of those things that's really cool if somebody else is doing it and you can tap out at any time oh well sir. and, well, and you they can just tap out at any time anyway yeah. yeah i have i have only done it once with the goal of malicious compliance uh, I got this idea from James Bennett, who was an L3 for a while. Um, I was playing a game with someone and I was, you know, doing out of order sequencing stuff and they were getting a little fussy. And, you know, even though it was all on the up and up, they were trying to like, like angle shoot me. And I, I just switched into, all right, we're going to play, play this game. <laughs> right. So I would be like, I would cast, I would cast a spell and then I would announce the priority pass to my opponent. That kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, I recant my previous statement. I would have paid money to watch that happen. That's great. It was, it, the game slowed to a crawl and I was just like, I was hating life too. I was hating playing that game, but I was not going to show it on my face. You know, it was like, I'm going to suffer through this because it's worse for you. Did you win? Uh, yes. That's important. Okay. It was, it was 101. You actually got through three games? No. Oh, two games. One, one, oh, one, yeah. oh, one. Oh, yeah. And you yeah. drew. Okay. Yeah. I mean, even, even if you hadn't that won, like you, you won spiritually. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's F and M, but at the same time, it was just like you. You're kidding me, right? You Sometimes know, it was, you it gotta was the, let people know the whole thing. Like, um, it was basically like the situation where you cast like rampant growth and you put the rampant growth in the graveyard before you search for your land. You'd be like, oh, you chose not to get a land. That that kind of nitpicky oh, settle down right. nonsense. <laughs> I was like, all right. Well, that is sounds that like it? fun. Yeah. Is, is that it for Miss Triggers? Have we, have we covered basically everything? All there is to know in the whole yeah. world? Yeah. Until next Twitter thread. <laughs> Until someone does some nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. Just just to wrap wrap, wrap, yeah, wrap everything up with, with Triggers, You the opponent, the goal of the Miss Trigger policy is that you, the opponent, don't have to help your, your opponent play the game. Okay. However you are not entitled to them missing the trigger. Like the definition of when the triggers get missed and what your responsibilities are, are defined. Okay. So, um, and you might have to, you don't get to assume that they missed a trigger until they've passed the point of acknowledgement. And that might mean that you have to acknowledge the trigger first. And if you acknowledge the trigger first, that that's going to mean that they probably get that trigger. And that's, okay that is not a strategic right that you have if you need to know if something exists or not you need to ask 
you know, don't make an assumption because you know what Samuel L. Jackson says when you make an assumption. It probably has the F word in there somewhere. No, <laughs> just it probably does. It says you make an ass out of you and umption. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. It's great because he's not going to say like he makes it out of you and me because he's Samuel L. Jackson. Right? I suppose. All right. We ready to wrap this up, boys? I feel like it. All right. In that case, all right, that's our episode. Join us next time when we talk about... What is our topic going to be next time? I feel like we've pitched a few. What do you guys think? So, uh, Brian, do you want to take this? or? Yeah, I think I think we want to talk about compensation. I will yeah, not so, be there for that. <laughs> so, so, this, the, so the next episode won't be we in the collective sense. It'll be we in the Brian and Charles sense. Yeah, we in the sixty-six percent sense. Yeah, yeah, it, it, and and it'll be a special holiday episode. We'll we'll bring eggnog and and whatnot. Really? Wait, you guys are having uh, a holiday I, party I and you're specifically excluding me? I swear. Oh my. Okay, <laughs> I see how it is. Fine. Anyway, until then, you can send us an email at judgecast at gmail Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at judgecast. Till next time, even though I won't be there. I'm Samantha Har, and I keep it fun. I'm Charles Feather, and I'm backwards, so I'm going to keep it fair. I'm Brian Perlman, and I keep bringing back my Obsidad Ghost Council during other people's turns at the wrong point. <laughs> that was lame. I love it. I I gave you the line at the bottom. Oh, did you? Yes, I did. You can't just tell me what to say, man. I know, but this one was good because it referenced the episode seven years ago. Oh my god, a true throwback. That's this the the super fan deep cut. That's the super fan deep cut. (laughs) No, it's gotta be spontaneous. I gotta I gotta have that moment of like panic where I realize that I don't have anything prepared and then just come up with something pseudo lame. Got it. Every single time, I always want the third thing to be fungible. Oh. I can make it fungible. fungible. Like it. <laughs> we can talk about that next time when we talk about compensation. <laughs>